This is The Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Today is January 17th, 2023. Welcome into the show. My name is Braden Dennis. As always, joined by the very handsome Mr. Simon Belanger. Dude, bl- dark blue is your color. You look great. Oh, thank you. Just just let you know, dark blue is your color. <laughs> it's uh, it's merino wool. That's what it is. It's uh, best kind of wool. I, what does that mean? Uh, merino wool is actually, um, those do a lot of outdoor stuff will know what it is. It's basically this special kind of wool where it's um, antibacterial and it lets your body breed very easily but keeps warmth a lot. So it doesn't stink and it's very comfortable as well. Doesn't stink. Well, that is ironic because... Is this the lowest point ever for me on the podcast right now? Like potentially ever the, the Zoom call, you can see literally half my face. There's like a toothbrush in the way. I'm recording this literally in an Airbnb bathroom. This is <laughs> this has got to be the lowest point. I mean, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I'll just say that. You've had a few uh, cottage recordings where it was challenging to say the least. But uh, yeah, this is a, a, a whole new kind of podcast studio let's just say that (laughs) dude it's so bad like the sound is pretty solid though lots of like wood and you know towels and you know the whole thing it's uh it's quite the studio but i think this is a new low point for me today we are is a monday release so we're talking mental models frameworks tools stock investing ideas that we think are interesting and we want to talk about so let's get right into it. As promised, we said we would do an episode where we ran some screens and the ideas that come out of those screens. So do you want to go first? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it was it was definitely fun to do. That's going to be my main segment kind of separated into uh, kind of two bits here. So I used the stock screener on Stratosphere. I also made a poll on Twitter. So I asked people, um, what kind of market cap would you like me to screen on? And I gave some relatively small uh, market caps. How did you come up with these market cap numbers? <laughs> yeah. I was looking at the numbers. I was like, what is this? What's I, going on? The here? short answer is there's no logic behind it. I just had fun with it just because we've talked about how market caps are, you know, there's general ideas of, you know, a small cap is within, let's say, a certain range. Typically, I would say what below 5 billion is kind of typically. Yeah, uh, less yeah. than two for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, but you'll look different places, you'll see kind of different ranges. So I'm like, you know what, it's subjective already. So I just decided to throw out some weird numbers. Uh, so I did below nine, 946 million. My second option was 947 million to 2.63 billion. And the last option was 2.64 to 8.81 billion. So the winning one, I thought people would want some really small businesses. I was surprised, but the um, the winning answer was kind of the mid-range here, 947 million to 2.63. So that's what I use for the most most random yeah. gap ever, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, so I just I wanted to have fun. So the other criteria I've used is I use listed in the US and Canada. I originally used Canada, but there was just not a lot of results. I'd wanted a little more so i included us and canada i put 10 percent revenue growth year over year and a positive revenue growth on a three-year basis free cash flow growth year over year 
positive earnings per share growth year over year and three years. So it doesn't have to be as long as it's positive here. Three years shares outstanding range. I used a range here. I was a bit more generous. I used minus 20% to plus 20%, knowing that I'll probably lump in some higher growth businesses by the 20% because there's a lot of stock-based compensation. But over a three-year period, I figure 20% is, you know, it's high, but it's not crazy if the company is growing quickly. Uh, I chose under 50% in terms of debt to equity and a return on invested capital over 10%. So I got I think about uh, 12 results here. Um, I won't go through all of them, uh, but the one I ended up uh, choosing, which I'm not sure why it popped up on there because after the fact, I actually realized it was 3.5 billion market cap. But uh, it's a bit different here if you're looking at the screen. Some 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 idiot built that screener. <laughs> oh, wait, it was, it was us. I, there's gotta be, there, there must've been a slider that you just had off because it's pretty like, decisive on on the numbers in there but yeah you know Anyways. it's easy to use at least yeah, yeah it's very <laughs> easy to use so it's it's most likely user error but regardless i had uh, 12 names in total here the one i start ended up choosing is star surgical company it is listed in the u.s has a market cap of around 3.5 billion right now um so i'll talk a bit more about this i'll give a, an overview of the business i would say it's a semi dive because um there's a whole lot of stuff I did not know about what they're doing that I had to learn. I'll just say that. Is it me medical devices? Yeah, it's uh, medical, so it's optical uh, dev devices. So it's actually very interesting what they do. It's um, it's an alternative for the most part to laser eye surgery. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it. Anyways, it's a company I never heard of. I don't know if people have heard of on the podcast. Um, so it was they're actually doing quite well. So uh, it'll be I'll uh, go over that. I'm pretty excited to talk about it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm interested too because I'm personally like quite bullish on surgical tech, surgical devices, especially if there's a recurring element to their revenues, uh, which I'll learn more about when you go through it. But like just thinking out loud, like you know, I'm long intuitive surgical. I think I'd like to be long striker because they're having some success with their robotic surgery wing now too. Like they're another entrant into this market. Um, I think the Da Vinci by Intuitive Surgical is the, the leader and the winner here. But um, if I'm wrong, I'd, I, I have no, no problem kind of pair trading a bunch of them. Yeah. But I like, I like this segment in general. Yeah, no, it'll be fun. So anyways, I know I'll let you talk about your screener, what you use in terms of criteria. I know it's different because I saw the names way different. than mine. <laughs> Yeah, they're a lot different, uh, especially in size, right? That's the beauty of the screener. I'll, I'll call my screen growth, profits, margin and pricing power. I know it's a lot of like buzzwordy like things we talk about, but I had an interesting convo on screeners this week. And the question posed was, in your opinion, what is the value of a stock screener? And my answer was actually anti-patterns. And here from Wikipedia here, the definition, an anti-pattern in software engineering is a common response to a recurring problem that is usually ineffective and risks being highly counterproductive. So it's patterns you recognize, it's consistencies that you recognize across failures or things that are just overall ineffective. And so I, I am hoping 
to screen out anti-patterns, things that I, I usually do not find effective or do not match my specific style. And anti-patterns are useful mental models in life and certainly in investing. And as useful as they are for generating new ideas, stock screeners are. It's also, also useful for avoiding what I call tar pit ideas. And my next segment, you won't. So we're, we're both doing related to the, the screener here. My next segment is all about tar pit ideas. So stay tuned for this. But for now, um, it just means avoiding mistakes and, and businesses that commonly fail, do not fit my framework. And number two, I, I just don't understand well enough to generate alpha. And that's totally okay to screen out things that you just don't understand. So to do that, I, I first screened for U.S. and Canadian listings for you as well. Uh, so North American listings, because that's you know 99% of what I look at. Then I added every sector on uh, the sector part of the screener on Stratosphere. And then I removed every sector that purely sells, makes, or extracts a commodity. So I removed materials, energy, forestry, chemicals, metals, and mining. I additionally removed sectors that I'm not in a position to analyze based on my circle of competence. So a lot that came in there are like boom bust biotechs that I do not understand whatsoever um, and, and have no real edge there. And so here are the results in order of market cap. Um, we got uh, Google. You ever heard of Google? That is obviously largest by market cap. Uh, then Meta, which is Facebook. Dude, sneaky side note here. Meta is up 53% since November, just quietly sneaky. Uh, that's that's interesting. Um, those are the two like mega caps. So d- don't worry, they're not all mega caps. Some more big names here, but it goes a lot smaller. Adobe, Lululemon, MediaTek, Old Dominion Freightline, which is you know the trucking company. It's... Uh, the U.S. version of uh, TFI, Dr. Horton, which is a home builder, high quality home builder, Copart, very high quality compounder, Lenar Corporation, no idea what that is, but it's twenty eight billion in market cap. Uh, am I stupid? What is that? Um, Skyworks Solutions, Teradyne, and Pulte Group, which is another home builder. So these are much bigger names. Many of them I know. Things like one or two here on the list that I'm not familiar with. They all have double digit revenue growth per share. You can screen revenue per share on Stratosphere, which is badass because so many of these tech stocks, they have huge revenue growth, but they also have huge dilution uh, on the SBC side. So you can usually you can only do like EPS on screeners or free cash flow per share. Hell no. We got revenue per share as well. So uh, they also have high margins, at least 20% operating margins at the minimum, high return on equity and high ROICs at over 10%. Um, and a few other things like were profitable during X periods uh, and sustained like quarter over quarter growth in some periods, but like just small little little things that I put in there to try to avoid what I was talking about, anti-patterns. But yeah, I mean, I don't really have anything more to add than that. It's just a useful tool to creating a universe for research. That's that's why that's what I think about them. Yeah, 
Yeah, and we talked about that. It's just it's an idea generator, right? I think that's the best way. That's the easiest way I can yep. put it in. And yep. you set the parameters to what you're looking for. And a couple other names that came up for my screening, because I didn't want to go through the whole list, but uh Two names that people may be familiar with, uh, Spin Master Corp, which is a Canadian toy manufacturing company. Uh, I've looked at- That's a TSX listing. Yeah, it is a TSX. So that's one I'll probably try to dig into at some point this year because it is interesting. It's a smaller cap here. And then the other one, Steve Madden, which has an awesome ticker, Shoe, S-H-O-O. Like- uh Oh, yeah, not with an E, with, with no, two with O's, the got double it. double O's, yeah. yeah, which is, um, I'm surprised, yeah, Steve Madden, that I didn't even realize it was publicly listed, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, I'm noticing on your screenshot here, I, I don't know if you knew this, by the way, but you can add additional columns into your view, too, so I know you just have the defaults. Oh, I did like not know that, yeah, yeah. Industry, so sector, to... market cap, there's a little green button, mm-hmm. and you can add in, like, revenue growth, and you, look at my screenshot, you can do that. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Okay, no, I'll try that next time. Now to get back to Star Surgical. So ticker STAA. Star Surgical uh, develops and markets medical devices for use in refractive, cataract, and glycoma surgery. So they also design, develop, and manufacture in implantable columnar lenses, also known as ICL. These columnar lenses are made of collagen and polymer. Polymer is a material that would be used to make hard contacts lenses, for example, and collagen is a main structural protein that is found in the body. Uh, you'll have people, sometimes they'll put collagen in their shakes. Like There's a lot of uses for collagen. Um, those ICL generate 92% of the revenues in 2021. That was up from 87% in 2020. And again, I just, I had to watch a bunch of different videos just to understand this stuff because it's not really something I was familiar with. Um, so if we do have opticians and things like that, I'm hopefully I'm making some good sense out of it. So these lenses, these lenses are tailored made for eyes of the patient in question. So the implant requires surgery during which they dilate the pupil and then they place it behind the iris. So the iris is the colored part of the eye. Once the pupil returns to normal, the implant is firmly there and improves vision. So an easy way to look at... Is it it like a is it like a permanent contact lens? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, okay. yeah. And what really uh, stands out for Star Surgical is that uh, what they use here, the columnar lenses. Um, so they're really the only ones who do that. And I was looking through their 10K, which is the annual report for those not familiar in the US. Um, their primary competition is really laser eye surgery. So mm. there's not really all that much competition. They also make lenses that are used for um, cataract surgery. So cataract surgery, it's essentially you replace uh, part of the eye with an artificial lens. So they do that, but that's a very small part of their revenues. The main part is here, the ICLs that I'm talking about. So one of the advantages of this over laser eye surgery is that although it is meant to be permanent, it can be removed safely if the patient wants to remove it later in life. So some people may like that option, whereas laser eye surgery, that cannot be undone since it shaves a tiny amount of tissue under the surface of the cornea. 
One of the downsides with their product is that it's much more expensive than laser eye surgery. So pricing I found online was between $3,000 and $5,000 per eye, which compares to a range of $500 to $2,300 for laser eye surgery. So a pretty, pretty big difference here. But again, I think for some, it's just an attractive alternative because some people may be scared of having laser eye surgeries and the potential side effects. Although I, from what I've read, it's, you know, pretty safe in general. Now, did you know I have laser? No, I didn't know that. I got laser. Yeah. And, uh, I regret it. Really? We'll talk about that later, but I regret it. So this is, this is intriguing (laughs) to me. This is good. Okay. This is intriguing. Okay. So it is available in over 75 countries and they have over 1 million lenses that were implanted worldwide. Now, in terms of patents, they have 65 patents and 27 that are pending. That's really something important. I'm not the best first when it comes to either biotech or you know medical devices but patents are very important because usually you know there'll be something proprietary and they'll have exclusivity for a number of years we're thinking here about you know for example drugs right so you can get uh, either the generic kind or the name brand but the generic usually is available once a patent expires so just so people are are aware of that so in terms of patent, they did mention that they rely more on trade secrets than patents as a whole, and that the expiration of patents wouldn't have any adverse effect on their operations. Their intellectual property is tied to the design, production, and manufacturing of those columnar lenses that I talked about, or the ICLs. And they also make intraocular lenses, which are used for cataract surgery, which is replacing the natural lens of the eye with an artificial one. And I think uh, I think I read somewhere that like around 50% of the population requires cataract surgery at some point in their life. So it's pretty, pretty common. But there's a lot of competition in that segment. And that's only a small portion of their revenue. I'm pretty sure both my parents have had. I know my mom has. I don't think it's very common. Yeah, Yeah. people get this all the time. Yeah, I think it's more uh, typically it's when you're close to your 50s, 50s, 60s. That uh, 60 60 plus, like a lot of people need this. Yeah, exactly. Um, Now, in terms of key dates, so people may be surprised, but uh, Star Surgical was actually founded in 1982. It was a partnership between Tom Wagoner and Dr. Thomas Mazzocco. In 1983, Star completed its initial public offering, so it's been listed for quite some time. In 1991, they received FDA approval to market its foldable intraocular lenses. This is what is used in cataract surgery, so this was a bit of an advancement compared to what was available at the time. In 1997, they started selling uh, the ICL, so what I've been mostly talking about for those who want to correct their vision. This started selling outside the U.S. because it wasn't approved yet by the FDA. In 1998, they had marketing efforts uh, to begin bringing the company into the glycoma and refractive surgery markets. In 2000, Star received FDA approval for its glycoma surgery device. And in 2006, they started selling ICL for myopia in the U.S. So their main type of products, they've had more development on that product. So if you look on their website, they have like 
all the different kinds of FDA approvals. They've had some recent ones because they have different kind of tiers. I don't know exactly the whole difference between all the three, four different tiers that they offer, but uh, I'm sure people were well versed in uh, you know the uh, ocular kind of industry would know. Obviously, I learned quite a bit just researching this company. This is funny. This is a this timeline is exactly what I was talking about when I say filtering out boom bust, like <laughs> waiting for FDA approval type stuff. Look at this timeline. 83. Oh, yeah. IPOs. Almost 10 years later, 91, they received approval from the FDA. Like, how many times do you hear that? Like, oh, this, this biotech's waiting for this patent or they're waiting for this FDA approval. Like, that is literally in my mind run. And when I say I like the devices space, I, I do like the devices space. Yeah. I'm talking about I hate the boom bust biotech uh that's like early in their stage. Like so where I'm going with this is look at the market cap here. This is a lesson that you don't need to be super early on on something that's super risky uh until they've really figured out their business, which you know took a long time. Yeah, exactly. And their revenues have not like really started increasing at a good clip until recently. Uh, so that's something that people should be aware of. Right. And, you know, my take here is that they've kind of found a bit of a niche from themselves, like a product that's, you know, I'm not sure if bigger players would think it's worthwhile to actually get into that. And I'll talk a bit more here about what I find interesting. So first, I wanted to look at quickly at their management. So their current CEO is Thomas G. Frenzy. He became CEO actually just a few weeks ago as of January 1st, 2023, but was on the board since June 2020. He's following in the footstep of Karen Mason, who retired at the end of last year. She had been in that role since March of 2015, which I like to see. I like to see that there's not too much turnover in terms of leadership. And obviously, retirement's a very valid reason to change a CEO. Yeah. And prior to Frenzy, uh, prior to that, Frenzy, the new CEO, was the worldwide president of Johnson Johnson Surgical Vision Business and also worked in a senior leadership role at Abbott Laboratories, which is a large medical device company. So I think, you know, you have to hand it to him that this guy definitely has experience in that field. So they didn't kind of pick a random guy to run this business. Um, it sounds, I don't know his whole background, right? But it does sound that like he, he knows what the type of business that they're in now looking at management again it seems like uh looking at glassdoor something i like to do they generally approve of the ceo they have pretty good rating 3.8 stars out of five but again it it still has the old ceo name so we'll see whether <laughs> whether it actually continues for this new ceo but generally i think ceo approval is also reflective of senior leadership because obviously People rate their CEO, but a lot of what's happening with the CEO is usually implemented by their their SVPs, right, and the, the senior leaders. So I don't expect this to change too much, but something to keep an eye on. For the financial metrics, like I mentioned, market cap three point five billion. Twenty twenty one revenues were two hundred and thirty million. Trailing twelve months revenue two hundred and eighty million. They're growing revenues at nineteen percent over the last three and five years. So 
pretty much 19 to 20% every year. So this is really accelerated recently in the past five years where before that it was much slower growth. Their gross profit margins have gone from 70 percent in 2014 to 78% in the trailing 12 months. So a, a very nice kind of trend up here. The operating margin and net income margins have been steadily increasing over the past three years as well. Free cash flow has grown nicely. They more than doubled year over year after being slightly down in 2021 compared to 2019. Shares have increased about uh, the share count has increased about 17% over the last five years. So that's a total increase. Not like not low, but not alarmingly high considering the growth. What's your take on here? 17% increase over five years. Yeah. So like just a little over 3% a year. I mean, look, I, I, of course, that's never, I'm never looking at that and going, oh, Nice. <laughs> no. But that is that is not uh unreasonable, especially no, exactly. in a growth phase. Like you look at tech that has been so loved, like companies like Salesforce, uh, you know, names like that that are like well known, like kind of like blue chippy tech stocks, blow that dilution out of the water. Yeah. <laughs> um and so if you give that context, then it's not so bad. No, exactly. And one thing that's really important for a business like this, and I'll put a lot of emphasis on that, is they spend a good amount on research and de developments or R&D. And that's a good thing. You want these kind of companies to be at the forefront and keep investing and not sit on their laurels, because if they do they'll tend to lose market share. So over the last two years, they've spent over 30 million in R&D and it's been increasing steadily, which is fine. You definitely want to do that. They can afford it. Like I said, they are profitable. And as they mentioned in their annual report, the, I'll butcher this word, but the ophthalmic surgery, which is, um, I had to Google the word, so it's cataract surgery falls into this. And that market is very competitive and is driven by technological advances and regulatory approvals. And the regulatory approval is what you were talking about here about, you know, an FDA approving it. And that's why constantly working to improve and develop products is essential. And they do mention that. So that's something you want to keep seeing. If they slashed R&D a year over year by half, for example, that would be a warning sign in my view. They have a pristine balance sheet with no debt on it. They do have some liabilities like leases, but the balance sheet is very good. They have $210 million in cash on the balance sheet as of September of last year. Valuation, it's not a cheap stock by any stretch here. Price to sales of 12.5, price to earnings ratio of 92, and the price to free cash flow of 155. So my whole, like, this is obviously not a deep dive. Um, there's a lot... There's a lot to like about this business, I'll be honest. Um, I just don't know how big the market can be for that compared to, you know, having the laser eye surgery option. Um, I think it's going to appeal to a lot of people who would prefer having the option to remove it should they want to move it. I think having just that option is attractive to a lot of people, but on the downside, I mean, it is quite expensive. So, and in terms of coverage for insurance companies, I used to work in benefits a bit more um, in my old job. So I know how it works. This tends to be seen laser eye surgery and this as optional 
kind of procedures. So for most insurance companies, they will not cover it. Uh, if you have something like a health spending account, that will oftentimes be allowed under there, but not everyone has that. So th something to keep in mind, because if people cannot pass that through their insurance, the cost can be a bit prohibitive here. I'm messing around. I just, the ticker STAA, I'm messing around on, on Stratosphere with the data here. Dude, <laughs> pretty amazing financials. I'm not surprised this stock is yeah. uh, so expensive. It's uh, it's not a cheap stock at all. No. Which is surprising um, to find still expensive stuff in small cap land. Yeah, but they, I mean, like, if you're- Oh, it's three and a half billion. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, small. three and a half billion. And if you're going to, you know, this is the kind of growth companies that I like where they are profitable, right? And yeah. they're not diluting like to an extreme- Very recently though. Yeah, very recently, exactly. So it's more recent, but- you know, it is, you're paying a premium, but you're not, you know, it's, uh, you're not talking about path to profitability here. They are profitable. Mm -hmm. Is it sustainable? I'm not sure. Again, I've not dug deep enough to, to know that, but it's trending the right way. I'll just say that. This, uh, you said, uh, what was it? Uh, Karen, Karen Mason took over to the job in 20. No, she used to. No, no. She, she was the role the in 2015. Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 that's right. Dude, this business transformed in 2015, it looks like. Just graphing out their revenue and, and, and gross profit, like, it's been unbelievable. The business was just kind of meh. And then, oh, my yeah. goodness, uh, Kager, since her tenure, revenue on Kager, 21%, gross profit, 23.5%, and made the business profitable. Wow. I suspect they were probably focusing a bit too much on the kind of cataract surgery side because one thing I mentioned, right, the ICL, so the one for people, um, you know, in, that they would use instead of using the uh, laser eye surgery. Well, that was 92% of the revenues in 2021 compared to 87 in 2020. I didn't check all the financial years before that, but I suspect you know, it may have been increasing prior years. So maybe that was a shift in kind of the direction of the business where the cataract surgery market is very competitive into something that they seem to have almost a bit of a monopoly if you are looking just at the ICL and not considering the, the laser eye part. I like that you can like, it looks like safely remove it. It's not permanent because... Yeah. Look, I have, I got laser... Oof three or four years ago now. Um, and I have five plus friends who have all gotten it during that time frame who have had no issues, no problem, nothing. You know, you have like dry eyes for like a month or so and then you're, and then you're flying. I still to this day wake up every morning with excruciatingly dry eyes and have to put in eye drops. Really? It is probably like the thing that stresses me out the most in my life. I would, I would say is how dry my eyes get from LASIK it. And I can't do anything about it. I'm just, it just is what it is. And it sucks, dude. It sucks. It drives me nuts. So, um, I regret it. And a lot of people love it. Yeah. And it was, it, it is great. You know, you get to wake up and see all of a sudden, but bro, I mean, it, 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 it ruins my day sometimes. Yeah. 
Oh, there you go. Star you go. Surgical. <laughs> <laughs> Star Surgical. Uh, you should be paying the podcast here. You're like you just you just get me you just get me as an ad. It's like, yeah. are you suffering from dry eyes from LASIK surgery? Contact Star Surgical today. <laughs> I mean, um, I, yeah, I hope people enjoy this because I had no idea. Like, I never heard of this company. I don't know about you, yeah. but uh, yeah, it was fun never. to do. Yeah, never. I'm gonna have to contact them. Tell them uh, <laughs> they could be onto something here. They, they are in Canada. Right. They do sell in Canada. So, oh, yeah. there we go. Mm-hmm. There we go. Uh, no more ads. Uh, we, we, they got to start paying us here. We're, we're giving them too much credit. All right, let's talk about tar pit ideas. My last segment and the last segment for today. You're familiar with Y Combinator, right? Uh, no. Ish? No. Really? Yeah. I'm, I'm actually surprised by that. Okay, I know you're not in the startup scene, but I, I thought you might have heard what they do. Anyways, Michael Caldwell and Michael Seibel, the guys that run... Uh, y, oh, sorry, Dalton Caldwell and Michael Seibel. Those are the guys that run Y Combinator today. And they see so many startup ideas because they, they get applications from all over the world to try to join Y Combinator. It's a startup accelerator. Okay. It is the most famous startup accelerator. It is the startup accelerator that defines Silicon Valley. Uh, Airbnb went through it. Stripe went through it. Uh, the list goes on and on. And... They talk about tar pit ideas. And so credit to them for coming up with the term. And that's what this segment is about. Um, now let's talk about tar pit ideas uh, and how the, they're found in business ideas and how they can relate to business models and s- traps that stock investors fall into. So I'm going to have my own little spin on it here. Uh, are you ready? By the way, this is my best po- podcast segment in weeks. Yeah, go for it. This right. is this is top tier stuff. Sitting down, I'm uh, ready to be floored. Yeah, yeah. yeah you just move the standing desk. Okay, we're ready. Um, a tar pit is a spot where oil seeps up through the earth as a result of large amounts of organic decayed matter through long, long periods of time. These form naturally in the earth. And in a tar pit, you can find a great amount of fossilized remains. They're like an archaeologist like hotspot. You can find dinosaur bones there even in, in large tar pits. And animals tend to be attracted to tar pits thinking that it might be a watering hole in the wild. They, they think, oh, here's some fresh water. They get stuck in the thick sticky tar pit and it is most often deadly they'll get stuck and they will pass away it is a trap they cannot leave so what happens is more and more living organisms end up decaying in the tar pit and it has a compounding effect the flywheel is in action because the smell of decaying animals brings in more animals who also fall victim to the tar pit and so on. And that's how you get these like really, really concentrated organic remains, fossils, bones, and in the end, oil, because, you know, science. So tar pit ideas are business ideas that founders are attracted to, but you will find a list of dead companies that exist in the tar pit 
that never found product market fit. These ideas are crowded. They have tons of competition. They sound exciting. They sound original as well, which is the the true trick. And it feels like a wide open space, like a blue ocean. And the reason for that is because you can't see all the dead companies that are stuck in the bottom of the the tar pit because they're already dead. It feels like a blue ocean. You, you think you think you found the watering hole, Simon. You know you're you're trekking through the the uh, the the Serengeti, and you think you found the watering hole, and it's a tar pit. And it's even worse than a red ocean. It's worse than a red ocean with sharks and competition and business because you just drown in the tar pit, and no one knows and no one cares. So that's what a tar pit is for business models. Before I get on to stocks, what do you think? What do you think of uh, my uh, my African lion safari here? <laughs> no, it's interesting. No, I, I definitely, I can think of a couple business ideas that would fall into that. I think the one, I mean, you must remember Groupon, right? Yeah, Groupon's still going yeah. though. But yes. Th- still going, a but bit my of a target, God, that- for sure. Yeah, it's the brand name, and I just looked up the the stock here, and it's two hundred fifty three million market cap. It's down yeah, from never really worked out. No, it's I mean it's massively down. I don't know what the market cap was at the time if you factor in dilution, but at some point, I think when it IPO'd, it was around four hundred dollars a share, and now it's eight dollars. So perfect. You know what, Simone? Perfect tar pit idea you just pointed out is Groupon because it's the leader in the category and still didn't work. Exactly. Um, Just think of- And how many ideas come out like, oh, it's like, yeah, like big discounting for, you know, companies because you have this two-sided marketplace that's like really impossible to solve. Exactly. And the amount of times I watch either like Shark Tank or Dragon's Den and people were pitching a variant of Groupon. Yes. And you see Groupon that's like, very it's struggling clearly i i don't know what they're if they're profitable or not i'm just kind of looking at the quick overview here but you know just thinking if they can't make it work chances are there's probably hundreds if not thousands of names that tried to borrow that idea make it slightly different thinking it would hit big and you know if you pitch someone just like that not a bad idea per se but I think, you know, the proof is in the pudding here. That was such a good tar pit idea uh, right off the top of your dome. Look at you. You're wearing your, you're wearing your color today. You're, the mind's going. You're on fire. Um, all right. So now let's talk about crowded stocks um, because, you know, in the tar pit, it attracts a lot of, a lot of people coming to the tar pit. Naturally, you have this flywheel and this happens with trader bros and retail investors in crowded stocks, the exact same thing happens, and they're all tar pits. Think of meme stocks. Think of innovative, groundbreaking, high-flying stocks like the uh, what, what is it? The uh, Aerotine International from uh, the Wolf of Wall Street. When Leo DiCaprio is like, I have a high, <laughs> he goes, John, you're going to want to hear this. I got a high flying tech stock out of the Midwest. Uh, it's got patent pending civil and military applications. Like that's, that's a tar pit. Um, and retail gets excited about it and pumps it up, but there's no substance to the business. The crowded stocks relative to the business fundamentals. The management team is interested in selling a fascinating story. The investors go online, try to pump the stock. 
They tell their friends. Meanwhile, they're drowning in a damn tar pit business and they're going to eventually lose all their capital, but they're also going to drag in their entire network into the tar pit too. Everyone knows a friend that has tried to sell them a tar pit stock. You, you've, you've had plenty. Some junior miner, some patent pending approval drug company, some flying car type hype story. And they all turn out to be car pits, car pits, tar pits. Avoid them at all costs. You know, be aware of the tar pit and, uh, you know, always do your research before flocking into what looks like a watering hole. And it turns out to be one of these stinking tar pits. No, well put. Yeah, it's the. I think a lot of those tar pits too are the allure of a quick buck, right? Exactly. And the next big thing. And I think just as you were talking, I was reflecting a little bit. The, you know, the whole Amazon story. Yeah. It's such a disservice for a lot of investors because people constantly look at, oh, you know, if I would have held bought Amazon and, you know, whenever listed, I don't know, the 1990, uh, 1990s, not exactly sure when. And, you know, I look at the price today, I'd be a millionaire. And people constantly are looking for that next multi, multi bagger. And they just hear that story. And I think it kind of ties in a bit with what you're talking about here, because people focus in on a handful of success stories like that. But, you know, they don't look into all the names that all the dead bodies below them. Yeah, exactly. That's it. So because there were so many in the that dot com bubble, and Amazon found their product market fit, and a lot of the tech companies that are the mega cap trillion dollar names today, they went seemingly boom boom bust in the early two thousands. They were different in the fact that they were navigating product market fit and building real businesses that had sustainable, you know sticky products and you know jeff bezos is just you know the most ruthless competitor and capital allocator maybe ever and so you're right there's a long list of the dead bodies that you don't see yeah yeah and i it's just i don't know if it's laziness i don't know if it's people wanting to hear a good story a combination people like analogies right yeah they like analogies and you know people get pitched stocks by friends family and whether i don't know it's a trust thing like i i think a lot of people just love a good story and don't take the time to actually do some basic analysis and i mean i'm not trying i've made that mistake i've talked about it before where i invested in a junior miner i lost everything when i was i think 18 or 19 um so i've made that mistake before i've learned from it i know it's easy to make so i'm not i'm not trying to put anyone to shame here and we saw it recently right it's not publicly listed but don't feel too bad if it's happened to you. Just make sure you learn from it because it's also happened to some institutional investors with FTX recently. Exactly. And we're seeing it unfold right now. And these supposedly professional investors were, yeah, I don't know what they were smoking, but uh, they were believing the story. 
they did not do their due diligence. Web three is a tar pit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you hear and there are s- those startup ideas. Anyways. Yeah, that's it. So, um, not nothing to feel bad on, but just something to remind yourself when you're investing in companies. You know, you may get some tips from people you know, and that's fine. But don't invest blindly in the companies just based on a story. Take the time to do some research. Because oftentimes, if you just take half an hour to an hour, uh, you'll probably be able to tell whether that's actually a good investment or not. Yeah. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And like just basic kind of one-on-one figuring out what the business does uh, avoids a lot of tar pits. Like in terms of at least doing the, like the base level of research before jumping on some hyped up thing or, or, you know, what Peter Lynch calls a whisper stock. It's basically the same thing, right? It's like, this thing's going to boom. They just need uh, to get approval for this mine off the coast of East Africa or like, you know, up in the tundra of, uh, <laughs> of none of it. They're, they're waiting for some, uh, the green light to start mining gold there. These are the whisper stocks uh, that attract a lot of, a lot of what we're talking about. Yeah. Simone, dope episode. Um, I can't believe this was recorded uh, w- with my current situation. Look at that. Like, I wish you could see. I mean, I, it looks like the dis- the level of despair. From my vantage point, it looks like you're recording in a bedroom where you're under a bunk bed. <laughs> That's what it looks like. It looks like the spring of the upper totally bed. Totally does. So that's gonna, yeah, yeah, so that's where I I know you're in a washroom with towels and stuff, and but from my vantage point, it looks like you're in a bedroom <laughs> under like in between the totally two bunks. Does. Yeah. yeah, it totally does because half the screen is like held up on the 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 thing that like holds people's toiletry bag. That's like where my laptop that's is right. hanging. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it totally looks like. Yeah, look at me now. I'm like half under the bed. Oh, that's brilliant. That's it. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the show. This is the definition of the show goes on. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you. And for this content, uh, we don't ask a whole lot, but we can't verify that you do it, but we appreciate that you do. If you go on and rate the show five stars, if you're on Apple podcast, you can can write a nice little note there. If you're on Spotify, you just hammer that five star button it really helps the show and it, you know it makes us feel good that's like half the battle make grow the show make the make us feel good and it also makes us feel good if you go on jointci.com that is the patreon to support the show uh, and get additional stuff like our monthly portfolio updates as well so go ahead go ahead into uh, jointci.com we will see you in a few days take care bye bye The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Brayden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.